Hey folks, it's time for another episode of the High Power Archery Podcast. In this week's episode, which we've titled The Total Release Solution, we're going to be discussing the different components of your release execution. Now, we've done another podcast in the past on the subject of release execution, but this one's a little bit different and going to get into a little bit more detail that we didn't discuss before. So it's not a repeat of the same thing. But before we do that, I want to just let you guys know that our YouTube channel is up and running. We've added yet another video to it, and there's going to be a companion video to this podcast being uploaded today as well. The way it's going to work from now on, for the most part, is whenever we come out with a podcast, there will be a companion video that goes with it. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel because if you want, you can also not only view the videos, you can listen to our podcast there as well. So if you're putting it on your TV or something else, you can sit back and listen to the podcast without having to connect to your phone or something like that. But as far as the YouTube channel goes, let's just make one thing clear. It's not there to make money. I've said it a hundred times. What I want the whole purpose of that channel to be is so that other people, including my students, have, and our listeners, have the opportunity and a place to go where if they want to visually see something any time of the day or night on a technique, like how to tie a D-loop or something simple, or they're having a problem, there's probably going to be a video there that will refer to what they're looking for. Now, last week, I posted a video on the High Power Archery Challenge. Those of you who don't know what that's about, Please go over there, check out the video. Um, it's very simple, but we invite as many people as, as you want to, to go ahead and try our challenge. And it can be done in any different way that you want. And different challenges apply to different people. So you pick what you want to work on. But let's get back to today's topic, which is the total release solution. So your release is made up of a lot of different things. And the first thing that comes to mind when I say something like that is, well, my release is a mechanical, but release, whatever it is, what it is. Well, that's not entirely true. Your release, whether you're a compound shooter using a mechanical release or a recurve or traditional shooter using just your fingers, the release is a complete mechanism that allows you to shoot the bow. Part of that mechanism, if you're a compound shooter, is going to be the release itself. But that's got to combine with your hand and your fingers and your palm in order to get a full release solution. For the traditional shooter, your release is comprised of your fingers, your palm, your wrist, even more critical but they still make up a solution for what has to be correct in order to fire accurately and repeat the same thing over and over and over again. Now, I'm going to get into a couple of different areas, including what to look for, things to check, that sort of thing. But before I get there, I want to mention how we teach our own release method here at High Power Archery. So for years, I've been teaching the way it was taught to me, which is a controlled release method. 
the one person who I believe explains this the best and gets into like really, really deep on how it works because he's perfected a whole science behind it is Joel Turner. And you can check out his videos, his website. He's got like kind of snippet videos on there to still give you basically what he's talking about. And what he teaches is having complete control over your release. This way you know when you're executing it, you have control to stop it. All that combined together to make a completely controlled release. This is the way we teach it here. Although the way he explains this is 100 times better. But we've been doing it for a long time for a reason. And that reason is you should be able to control your shot. Because otherwise, if you're just waiting for a shot to go off, it doesn't always work. Particularly with the bow hunter in mind or a target shooter who's in the outdoors relying on wind conditions to be just right and trying to time all that together. Now, this may sound contrary to what a lot of people teach, which is the quote-unquote surprise shot. But for the same reasons I just mentioned is the reason I don't teach a surprise shot. Now, most of the time in the premise of trying to achieve that surprise, people wind up punching the trigger because either it's taking too long, something's going on, a lot of things combine to make that perfect surprise never happen the way they want to. Or sometimes they can get a surprise shot one out of 20 times. It really has to do with the individual shooter. And what I'm going to say here right now is this. Although this is the way that I teach it, and the way that Joel Turner has completely perfected like explaining it, if you come from the school of Surprise shots, we are not saying that is the wrong thing for you. What I'll tell you is this. Everyone has a different way of shooting. You have to adopt what works best for you. There may be those of you out there who are trying to achieve this so-called perfect surprise shot every single time where it's not working. Because it's it's a matter of do the odds work out for you? Have you achieved the rest of your form perfectly in order to get this going so maybe trying our method of shooting works for you there are others who do try the i don't know how to describe it i call it the drop it on the target and punch it that's not what i'm talking about here dropping it on the target and just punching it that doesn't really work because by the time your eye is seeing what where the pin is on the target and that communicates it back to your brain, it's already moved off the target. So there's a lot of different things that have to go into this about that. So the companion video to this podcast is in two parts. The first one is how to actually fire the mechanism when it comes to your hand, and also the position of your hand when you're firing, whether you're using a compound with a release or you're using a recurve or a traditional longbow, whatever you, have, whatever you want. And then the other one is going to be actually how to focus and control and control the shot. That'll come a little bit later. So let's get things started out first. Like any other thing that's practiced with caution and repeatability, 
you should always check your equipment to see if it's in good working order. There's a couple of reasons behind that, and I'll get into them shortly. But first of all, whether you're getting a release that's being handed down to you from somebody, or you bought a brand new one out of the store, or from online or wherever, or it's just your regular release that you've been using for years that you keep inside the inside your case and you pull it out once every couple of months whenever you're going to shoot or once a year if you're that type of person who practices a couple of, like a month before the season or something like that no matter what the circumstance is you always have to check your release check the function and I'm going to go into what you should be looking at now traditional shooters I'm not leaving you out of this because although you're not using an additional mechanism to complete your release solution, you got to check one thing. Your hand, okay? If you're using a glove or you're using a thumb tap, uh, a finger tap, is that finger tap in good shape? Um, is your hand feeling okay? Like, do you warm up your hands? Do you... Do you like exercise with your hands? As we get older, we all get a little bit of the arthritis here or we get some some sticky joints, that sort of thing. You got to make sure all that's okay. So you need to inspect your equipment. If it's just traditional, inspect those fingers. Make sure you're not hurting anything like that. Make sure that your, your finger tab is okay. Because otherwise, your release solution, no matter how simple it is, is going to fail you. But for now, we're going to start with the mechanical release people. So like I said, check the condition of the release. Whether you're using a thumb or an index figure trigger, check the trigger itself for excessive travel. So whatever the method is to get this thing locked onto a string or something like that, what I suggest is taking a piece of D-loop, about two feet long or something like that, tie a, tie a knot in it, you know, so you get a complete circle. Do not try this with your bow, please. Or get a release trainer. Our buddies at the Off-Center Archers, you can go to their website on uh, on Etsy, which is Shooting Skulls, and they have all the release trainers there. Very simple, very cheap. It's very inexpensive if you want to have something like that, which will also allow you to practice anytime you want. But if you just have some D-loop or some string laying around, tie it in a circle, tie it tight, make sure it's good, heavy string, and clip on your release to it, and then check your trigger. Pull the trigger slowly. See if it's got a lot of travel before it goes off. A release with travel is a problem because if you can't tell exactly what it's going to take to get that thing to go off, it could be very random. So if you don't have a release where the travel is adjustable, just know one thing. In my experience, I found that a release that never used to travel before and starts traveling a lot, there's usually something going wrong in it. Either you know something in the gear or something like that inside. Um, some part of it is starting to wear down, and you're getting more travel. Some releases have travel adjustments; others don't. Some have sensitivity adjustments also. But even if you have a sensitivity adjustment, it should it should not affect. You pull in that trigger, and then it traveling, 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 and then finally going off. So check the travel. Check if you're using a wrist strap, 
the condition of the wrist strap and the connector of the release body to that wrist strap. Make sure it's all good, solid, not rusted or anything like that because you don't want that popping off. In all the years I've been shooting, I've never seen a wrist strap break off. But now that they make them with just like some of the more least less expensive ones are just basically Velcro that's that goes onto your wrist and is directly connected to the release instead of having an actual buckle and everything else. I could see those breaking if they're left to wither or left to the, to the elements or something like that. So check that out. On a thumb button, make sure that your barrel is not rotating around. What do I mean? If that thumb button is even the least bit loose, what will happen is as you try to fire, instead of firing the, the trigger, it'll go ahead and just roll and then eventually fire. That's bad. So you want to make sure that that thumb peg or that thumb um, barrel is tied on there really, really tight. Not so tight because some of them, especially the 3D printed ones, you can actually break them as you go through there. Just make sure it's snug and not moving freely with just a little bit of um, little pressure. And also you want to check, and this is what I suggest for every single type of release, no matter what it is. Hook it onto your string the test string we're telling you, or the release trainer, and pull with all your might. If it's a standard release and not one of these tension-based ones, when you pull that sucker really, really, as hard as you can, it should not go off. I have seen releases, very inexpensive ones, stuff that people got that was made in China, whatever, even stuff that was made here when there's something defective with it. When you try to pull it, pull it, pull it, you'll find there's an actual pressure point where it just opens. That's a problem. It's a problem because when you draw back a compound bow, it starts off at the very hardest. So if you're pulling back an 80-pound bow, you're pulling 80 pounds with a pressure back with the string. If that sucker opened up at, say, 60 pounds of stretch of pressure, you can wind up punching yourself in the face, getting really hurt. So better to find out by just pulling a piece of string or a release trainer that something's wrong, and then switch and release, send it back to the company you got it from. Some of them will maintain them for life. If you buy something that's quality, like something from Trueball or one of these other companies, they stand behind their product, and no matter how long you've had it, they'll fix it for you. You might have to pay for shipping it there and shipping it back, but they're going to fix it. So, like, I've had this experience with both Trueball and Carter, who are probably the two best companies to deal with when it comes to this sort of thing, because you'll literally send it to them, they'll fix it, and they'll send it right back. And if there's something that they can't fix because it's defect or something like that, they'll replace it. But you have to make sure that that part of your release solution is in complete and total working order. Now, like I said for the traditional people, the second part of your release solution is your hand. It's all about the hand. So, when you sit your your hand into the release, okay, two things that people do which drive me crazy is if they're using a index style release 
they tend to grab the barrel and its varied length, on, depending on the index style you're getting. Bat, grab the barrel, and as they're drawing back their bow, they're pulling on that barrel. They're like completely wrapping their hand around that barrel. And I've seen this taught on a couple of different YouTube videos, and it looks like it would make sense, but it really doesn't. And here's why. If you are wrapping your hand around that barrel, okay, as you pull it, two things can happen. One, you could set it off by mistake in the middle of the draw. You don't want to do that. Consequences are what everybody knows, smacked in the face. But the other thing is, as you're drawing back and you're settling into position, if you have any tension on that hand at all, because remember, you're pulling with your shoulder, you're not pulling with your hand. If you're not pulling with your hand, there's no re- no reason to go ahead and wrap that thing around there. So you're pulling with your shoulder. You're setting your finger on top of the release. Why is this important? Because like I said, it's a total release solution. Your hand has to become part of that release. Your The release has to become part of your hand. It's an extension of your body. And a lot of people don't get this. But you need the release to just be a continuation of the flow from your arm, into your wrist, into your fingers, into the release. Otherwise, if you don't do that, the way your release is going to go off, no matter how much you try, is going to look what I call these Chinese snakes. When I was a kid, they had these um, wooden snakes that had a lot of different joints in them. And no matter what, if you, you can pull them out straight and then... If you push them together, they like go in all different directions and make S's and stuff like that. Well, guess what? If you do something and you grab it, then you're going to change the angle at which that release is being fired every single time. So your hand has to be completely relaxed. On top of that, when you're drawing, where you place your finger that's going to actually fire is of extreme importance. Here's why. Like I said, a lot of people pull on the barrel. They, they, you name it, they pull on different parts. And their finger is in weird places when they're doing that. Well, what happens is they get to find out what goes on when they try to reach that finger over at full draw. By not placing your hand in proper position and completely relaxed as you pull back, it's often a surprise on where you're going to wind up finding that trigger. Because sometimes your wrist strap may be too loose, and if it's too loose, then that slides up your hand a little bit. And if you're not holding it, and you're just relaxed on there, you're going to find out that you can't even reach the trigger. Or if you do reach the trigger, it's going to be with the very tip of your finger, which you cannot use to fire one of these index releases. I'll explain why in a second. So that becomes a problem. The other problem that happens is that as you're drawing back, okay, when you go ahead and you're at full draw and you try to reach that finger over, say you have it in a a hard position holding that, that barrel, and you try to reach that that finger over, the act of changing pressure on the barrel will actually make the string jump. Actually might even make your scope jump, the target jump, whatever. Because all of a sudden, 
you've got all this pressure on there. You let one finger off as you try to reach it around. Boing. And now all of a sudden, the whole bow jumps. I put that similar to people who shoot a back tension release. And they got a click on it. And the minute that they hear the click, they like just lose themselves because that click throws them completely off. Well, guess what? When you're trying to reach over and do that, that's going to throw you completely off too. Like I said, we preach a total control for your release solution. So you have to make sure that that doesn't happen. If you're relaxed when you're pulling back, you're going to know right away that that doesn't fit right or something's not right there. So you should have your finger on top of the barrel with the hand relaxed, draw back, and then you just slide it over, get into that second joint on the finger, which is where it should be firing it from, and then you can begin your release execution. The reason why we don't say fingertip and just reachy, 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 trying to get to the very tip is because that is probably the most sensitive part of your finger and the part you have least control over. It's very subject to a twitch reaction. So we don't want to use that. We want to use the second joint and wrap that trigger in there. So it's wrapping it deep. So for a lot of people, that means shortening up their release trigger, like bringing it in further. Most of the barrels on the better releases are adjustable. This way, while it may seem like, well, this looks weird. It's like deep in my hand and I can still hook on and all that, but it doesn't feel right. Well, guess what? When you draw back and your hand's released, your hand is completely relaxed. That thing's going to slide up a little bit. And then it's going to be right in place. So, again, relaxed hand with the index finger makes a complete extension of your body. Now we're going to go off to the thumb button shooters. Thumb button shooters, same deal. You place your hand into the release, okay? Now, some of them, like all my students shoot Carter Wise Choices, uh, or the B3 releases, or the Scott Sigmas, stuff like that. And the reason why they do is one of the few releases they make where your index finger is completely encircled by the release. Other ones, they, they're kind of open, and there's nothing wrong with them. But for my students, my kids, that sort of thing, when they're shooting, I prefer they have something that's going to work a little bit better with that as far as letting them have the idea that they have more control over it. It's not going to slip out, that sort of thing. So they have it in there. Your hand, again, must be completely relaxed. The first thing people tell me is, well, if my hand's relaxed on on a handheld release, it's going to fly out. No, it's not. And again, this is something you should be practicing with any new equipment. Always practice in a practice scenario, meaning try it with a release trainer first or try it with a piece of string first just to see if you can relax your hand as you're pulling back. Because if you make a fist when you're holding your release, I challenge you to make that fist exactly the same 20 times in a row. You can't. It's not humanly possible. You may think it is, but the angle will differ ever so slightly. Guess what? A differentiating angle on a handheld release will cause your shots to go to different places. 
So you need to have a consistent grip on the release. So you should be holding your release between the first joint and the second joint of your fingers. Doing that creates what they call a natural hinge. Your fingers will hang that way and any pressure will not open them up all the way. It just doesn't. But again, practice it without using it on your bow the first time. When you draw back, you're drawing back with a relaxed hand, not pulling with the hand, you're pulling with your your shoulder back, your forearm should be relaxed, your hand should be relaxed, because now they complete a, a full extension onto the release. If they're curled, or if they are fisted in some way, what's going to happen is that angle's going to be different every single time, and then when you're trying to do a, you know, a relaxed shot as they preach everywhere, same thing's going to happen. If you relax after the fact, like I pull it back and then all of a sudden I start to relax, that's okay when you're first learning because you don't trust yourself a lot of times. But that's why they make release trainers, so you can try it anytime. You're sitting at work, you got nothing better to do on your lunch hour, break out the release trainer. It's not like you have a whole bow with you. And pull back and it, practice doing that. Practice doing that with the relaxed hand. Come to your anchor, relaxed hand still. And you begin to execute your firing with the button. For the button shooters like this, where your thumb barrel is, is even more important. Because you don't fire your thumb barrel with the tip of your thumb or with the pad of your thumb. I know a lot of people show that and a lot of people teach that. It's just like your index finger. Too many nerves there, it will not work. In our method of shooting, which is controlled release, okay, contrary to the surprise release, you have to be able to let pressure off and increase pressure at your own will. The problem with doing it with a tip, whether it's the index finger tip or the thumb tip, is that once you start getting the pressure on there, it's so sensitive Trying to make it stop is a lot harder than you think. But if it's in another part of your hand, doing it is a lot easier because it's more like pressing the brake on a car. You can feather it. You can jam it. But when you get a smooth action on that, it goes off a lot easier and a lot more consistently. And again, consistency is what you're looking for. You have to be able to repeat it every single time. That's why they say do a a surprise shot because they want you to be able to repeat it without thinking about it. Okay. But trying to achieve that every single time just doesn't work for a lot of people. Whether you're young or old doesn't really make a difference. I find it doesn't work. So... Your thumb barrel, and I'll show this in the video, should be positioned in such a way where it fits when your hand is relaxed in the release. It should fit between the knuckle of your thumb and where your index finger grows out of your hand. So that little V, that's where it should be. And you wrap your whole thumb around it. 
Now, if your sensitivity on the thumb barrel is way too high, the minute you wrap your thumb on it, it's going to go off. So that's why we tell you to try this with a trainer. You're going to hear me repeating that over and over again. Try it with a trainer. I use one, you know, one similarity to this is if you see those cliff divers in Hawaii or whatever, the guys who jump off the cliff and into the water in the ocean, way up there, do you think they started, a, you know, jumping off 200 feet? No. They start by practicing it lower, and then they get more confident, and they go higher and higher and higher. But none of them go cold into it being like, I've never done this before, let me just jump out. You shouldn't be the same way either. Try it, practice it on a release trainer on just a piece of string. Doesn't make a difference. Practice your total release solution. Because once you get really good at it, like I said, that release is just an extension of your hand. When I'm shooting and when most of my kids are shooting, they don't even feel the release in their hand. They just know, start increasing pressure and go. So that's important. Now, where that thumb barrel rocks back there is very important because when I first try to explain this to how you're going to fire, the first thing that pops into their head is, I heard somebody say that when they're talking about a back tension release. And like I said, this video is not about back tension releases. I'm going to get into tension-based releases and back tension releases in another video and another podcast later on. But it does come from that because the idea being if you're not relying on your thumb to set it off and you're relying on it being pressed inside there encased with around your thumb and now what you're doing is as you as you pull back and you're increasing pressure well where do you increase the pressure so the first time that people are doing this i see how they do it and they're just jamming their thumb like it's a lot harder to set off when it's wrapped around in there like that and i do that for a reason so it doesn't go off without you wanting it to you're like well how do i get it to go off simple When you're firing a back tension release, they tell you to start increasing pressure on your last two fingers. So if you're firing a three-finger release, you increase pressure on that last finger right next to your pinky. Doing that creates a rocker effect, and all of a sudden, you don't realize it, but you're firing the release. When you increase the pressure on that pinky, it actually twists your hand a little bit. And again, you have to combine this with pulling, constantly pulling with your shoulder. If you don't do that, none of this works. Now, you can stand there at full draw and just rotate your hand. That'll set off a back tension release. It'll set off one of these two. But it's harder to set off one of these like that. And you'll get a much cleaner release if you're pulling, because then when when you actually do release, when you make the conscious decision to fire that arrow, As Joel Turner says, when you say, here we go, he says, watch it to keep it, talking about the target, he says, here we go. That means you've committed to firing that shot. If something happened, you're you're aiming at a deer, if you're a bow hunter, and they move, you have the command power to stop that shot and wait a few seconds longer or even let down. That's why that whole surprise thing for me just doesn't work. But go ahead, boom, 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 increase the pressure as I'm pulling back, 
your hand flies back into the proper position, release goes off. But at the same time, you had the ability to stop the shot or to make it go off when you wanted to. A lot of people will say, well, I have a back tension release on a firing, but it just won't go off. Okay. Well, that's probably because you don't have command of your release. Like I said, some people rely on relaxing, relaxing, relaxing. Pulling, 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 boom, goes off. Okay, they wind up punching it because it doesn't go off when they want it to. If you're shooting field or you're shooting outdoor or you're hunting, here are the scenarios. You're hunting, the deer stops. You're getting ready. You're going for that surprise shot, whatever. He starts moving. Too late. You either shoot in the wrong place, something else happens. But if you have command, you can actually stop it, wait, go ahead. You fire when you want to fire, but you combine everything because, remember, your release is an extension of your hand. So you have control. It's a total solution. Outdoors, you're shooting field. You're shooting feet of targets, 50 meters. Wind is a big deal. You're firing, fire. you're, you're using a back tension release. Just ready for it to go off. You're like, okay, I'm pulling, pulling, pulling. Boom, I got too far. Wind gust happens, you're dead. That thing turns from being a nine to a six. But if you have control and that wind gust hits, guess what? Now I stop my shot. Wind gust stops. Either I'm going to let down or now it's like, here we go. Boom, done. So you'll find that people who use back tension releases, a lot of times they'll have different ones in their bag because different ones go off at different times. And it's always random with it. To me, it's upside down when people do that. They used to do, back in the day when I was a kid, they used to do the same exact thing with a wrist strap release. And what some guys would do was they take a spring and they wedge it onto their trigger for the index release. And they'd be pulling on the spring and then eventually the trigger would go off. Also, to me, completely nuts. I get what they're trying to do, try to achieve that, achieve that surprise, but you have no control. So that's why we teach the way that we do for the release becoming an extension of your hand, no matter what kind of release it is or if it's just your hand, pulling back, engaging everything together, and letting the shot complete as you need to, when you need to. I give you a brief rundown of how Joel Turner's system works because it's basically the same way I teach it, only he just makes it clearer, like I said, because he's put all this study into it and all this analysis and all this research into it. Hence why he, he was teaching his son to do this from a very young age. And he said it on a podcast a couple of years ago. I think it was the Bow Junkie podcast. And he said, well, when Bodie gets a little bit older, he's going to be blowing away all the pros in, in the men's division. Guess what his son did this year? He won Vegas as like a 15 or a 16-year-old, beating out all the top shooters in the world. Why? Well, it wasn't by luck. He was able to control what he was doing. But, like I said, the way it works is you focus on your target at the full draw, and then you make the conscious decision watching your target like, Okay, everything is perfect. The pin's where it needs to be. I start my shot. And you start squeezing and pulling, squeezing and pulling. And the shot will go off. 
knowing that you can stop it if you wanted to. If all of a sudden the, the pin leaves the target, you have the ability to stop that shot. You don't leave it to chance. That's how his system works. That's how I try to explain it to people. But when I do it, I usually do it in like stages. Okay, first, start pulling on that ring finger so you know that that's how it's going to be. And then I tell them, okay, fine. Can you can you actually have the ability to stop the shot now? Same thing with an index finger. When you're pulling back on the index finger, you've gotten that second knuckle. And what you do is your hand is still relaxed. Well, you're going to say, well, how do I fire it? Well, extension of your hand. Now, because you're completely relaxed, as you pull back more, guess what? Your angle changes, the index fire goes on, and you're able to stop it. So in that case, you're stopping it with your pulling because your finger's just relaxed on that trigger. And the more you pull, all of a sudden, boom, it just goes off. But you, ha- you know and you will learn where your break point is for when those releases are going to go off. Again, this is all contrary to the surprise shot and to the drop it, see it, hammer it sort of approach to things where people just drop it on target and all of a sudden they they hammer the trigger. Some people set their releases so light, and there's a couple of pro shooters who do it too, where they bring it onto the target and they slowly get it onto the target and the minute that it crosses where they want, boom, they press it and it either works or it doesn't work, those people, when they're on their game, are really, really on their game, and they're almost unbeatable, but when they're off their game, they're horrible. So it's kind of a hot and cold sort of thing. They just hope that they catch themselves in a hot period when they're competing. The only person I've ever seen who can probably do this on command, like, and he'll switch from a index to a... Uh, thumb button doesn't make a difference. Is Tim Gillingham? They don't call him the hammer for 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 no reason. The guy has a controlled shot. He knows when his stuff is going to go off. What his method is and all that, I don't know, but it works for him. And I've seen people try to copy him and go down in flames. But Joel Turner teaches the way that similar to what we do, where it gives you full control, and that's why we call it a solution and not just a method because if you think of it as a method a method has different ways of doing things it's a prescribed way of doing something but a method doesn't always work if the circumstances change a solution means all of a sudden this is an extension of my hand and i'm able to fire with my own control and i'll make it similar to this if any of you have ever seen like these movies out there where they feature subs, you know, submarines out there, they're always saying the captain will say will always say to, to whoever's controlling the torpedoes, do you have a firing solution? They say yes, they go ahead and fire. The total release solution is the same way. Do you have your solution? Is your hand relaxed? Is everything fitting together? Is everything right? Yes. Just like Joel Turner says, then here we go. Boom. Fire. You're not yanking on the trigger. You just let it go. It happens. Not a surprise because you have the control to stop it. Now, for the recurve shooters, this is the same thing. Your tab is an extension of your hand. It goes on there. 
it's much, much simpler. However, for, the, for those people, it's much more critical as well. Because if that hand has got any kind of tension on it at all, you're going to see a cup form in the hand, or you're going to see some kind of like unnatural position of the hand, which is not possible to repeat. So if your release method, okay, when you're firing is variable, so are your shots going to be. So I'm very, very fond of teaching recurve students to have a, how can I describe these, these different um, release tabs? They have release tabs that actually have a plate that sits in your, in your palm, okay? Because I have them align that plate to the inside of their hand every single time. Some of them have little shelves that you can rest your thumb on, that sort of thing. But the reason I do that is because if you can get it on there, then you know that if your hand goes curled or something like that, it leaves the plate. Kind of like the idea behind a nose button. If you leave the nose button, then you know you're doing something wrong. Now, for a finger shooter, when they're releasing, it's the same thing. You have control. You get to where your point is for your anchor, you're aiming, you're ready to take that shot. All you're going to do is you start pulling on your shoulder and then you release your fingers. Very important. Your release solution, because now you don't have any external objects helping you accomplish that solution. You release your fingers. You do not open your fingers. Anyone who tries to open their fingers, relaxation is a thousand times faster than the mechanical action of trying to open your fingers. When you try to open your fingers, you're going to get a hanky release or you're going to get the string catching on them as they go out and any little thing will affect that arrow where it goes. So all you're doing is you get into your, to your anchor point, you're aiming, it's there, yeah, we're good. As I pull, I'm just releasing the tension, I follow through, shot goes where it's supposed to go. The simplest solution possible. So that's why the first time that I'm teaching somebody to shoot, I usually start them out with a recurve, whether or not they're going to go to compound or not. Because you learn the minimalist parts of your release solution being just your hand, and then we can add more onto that when we switch you to a compound and we go through that. And we increase the part of your solution, just adding another segment to it but you can still activate it the same way that's what all this boils down to repeatability and control can you always repeat the same shot do you always have control over your shot if your answer to that question at any point is no then you need to work on it if you don't have the confidence to do it at regular range you go from working on it with a piece of string or a shot trainer to shooting it at a bale that's really close. There is nothing wrong with shooting at a bale that is close. That's why they make movable bales. If you're out in the field and you're just shooting with your target, move it closer. Ain't nobody looking at what you're doing. No one's going to care. And if anyone asks you, like, why are you only shooting it at like three yards or five yards? Well, I'm practicing. Oh, you can't shoot at 20 or 30 or 40? I'm practicing my technique. 
Not that if it's any of your business. But if you like to know what I'm doing, I'd be happy to tell you. Why didn't I just tell them to bug off? Because sometimes when you explain it to them, they'll be like, well, I never thought of that. And remember what I always say? Share your archery experiences. You can help people without realizing you're helping them. Just because someone may be ignorant of what you're doing doesn't mean they're an idiot. It just means that they may never have heard of it before. We excel in archery by trying new, different things, constantly trying to learn more, constantly trying to perfect our form and technique. If you don't do that, you're going to go stale. You're going to hit a point where nothing else works. You're going to become frustrated. You're going to quit. So always strive to increase your performance, to try to make your shot better. If you've got everything rolling out to 50 yards with no problem, you're shooting a two-inch group, more power to you. Drop that sucker at 70 and see if it stays the same. If it doesn't, then it's because one part of your technique, whether it's part of your release solution, your stance, your shaking on your, execu- on your follow-through, it'll all come through. Well, find out what's wrong, work to perfect it. And if by some chance you're good at 70 and 80, keep pushing it until you find a spot that you can tell something's going on, your group opens up to the sides of a stop sign or something like that, and you keep polishing it. Because guess what? When you roll it back to regular distances, you're going to smash anything you hit. You're going to be doing it like it's not even a second thought. So that'll do it for our discussion on the total release solution. I'm sure people will have questions, and if you do, like always, drop me a line. So now we're going to get to our listener questions. And again, I picked the listener questions from a lot of different emails and on the topic that I have. So today's first question comes from Kenny J from Rockville Center, New York. And he writes, hey there, I started listening to your podcast a few weeks ago when one of my buddies shared a link uh, to, with me to your Blank Bail practice episode. I have to say it helped me big when it came to getting rid of most of my tar- target panic problems. I heard a lot about that episode, so some people seem to like it. Anyway, I always hear you answering listener questions, so I figured I would throw one out to you that's been bugging me for a while now. I went from shooting an index trigger release to a Scott Sigma last year. So a Sigma is very, very similar to um, the Carter release in that it encompasses your index finger. I do like being able to just clip it on the string and leave it there till I need it when I'm hunting. That's what a lot of people switch to index um, to, um, to handheld releases for in the first place. But when I'm shooting at the range, I try relaxing my hand, like you mentioned in another podcast, and it starts to slip out of my hand. Okay. Is it just this release or am I doing something wrong? I even took someone's advice and put a bigger thumb barrel on to give me more of a grip, and it just keeps slipping. Let me know what you think, and great job with the podcast. Well, thank you for that. And I did email Kenny. This is going back a couple weeks. I emailed him, and I asked him to send me a picture of his hand in the release. So he was holding it at the first knuckle, at the very first one. Yeah, you're going to slip out of there. Simple correction, move it in between the first knuckle and the second knuckle of your fingers, corrects that problem. Because you don't want to be holding on to the very fingertip. Because yeah, it will slip out, especially if you're sweating or something else. The other thing I told him to do was, if you find that you're having a slippage problem, because a lot of people sweat, take a little bit of hockey tape or something that's in a 
a tape that's got a very, very rough surface. So you don't want to do it with electrical tape. Um, I've even used like painter's tape. And just put it on the inside of where your finger beds are on the release. What will happen is as you do that, it'll help your your fingers hang on there even if they're sweaty. If you want to put something a little bit tacky, you'll have to change that tape every now and then anyway. But some people uh, actually put that spray on it that I was talking about in the last episode. Put that in there. Boom. You can you can do that. Don't put st- spider tack. You'll re- regret ever doing that. But the idea being, some people, especially if it's like a, a brass release, they actually just rough up the inside with some sandpaper. You can do it with any type. Um, it's just that if it's an anodized release and it's not brass, and you just do try to do that roughing up, it's just going to take off the finish, and it's actually not going to make it any rougher. But the idea being that you have some kind of a bed that you can sit in there, and then it's going to hold your fingers. But the one thing that I was very big on him about was putting a bigger thumb barrel on there. Okay. Uh, I corrected where his position on the thumb barrel was, but anyone who tells you to hang on to your release a little bit more with the thumb trigger is stupid. Because if you're hanging on to your, to your release with a thumb trigger, and I, I'm... I'm sorry if I'm laughing, but it, it is crazy to think about because it's got zero logic. If you're hanging on to your release with the thumb barrel, guess what you're going to do? You try to hang on, it's going to go off. And when he emailed me back, he said, well, he was wondering why at random times his release would just go off. Yeah, because you're trying to hang on to it with the thumb barrel. So that took care of his problem. But like I said, if you have a problem with slipping or sweat, something like that, best to either put something on the inside there of the finger beds, uh, you'll see some releases like Trueball on some of their releases when they made them. I think the HPC and the HPX were the ones that they did it for. They actually grooved them in there. So they're finger grooves in there. So you can't just slip out as easily. But you can customize it. You'll see all kinds of different things. Ask people around the range who do it. You'll see one or two people with tape on their releases or something. There's a number of different ways of doing it. But that's not that big a deal. Our next listener question comes from Christina L. from Santiago, Chile. And she writes... Hi, my name is Christina. I'm 16 and I live in Santiago, Chile. I've been listening to your podcast with my brother for almost a year now. We have been shooting compound for two and one half years and work with a teacher from our school in the afternoons. Last year, my mom bought me a new Hoyt bow and a new release. I have problem with my release not going off all the time. It's a true ball blade pro and sometimes it will not go off. I have to squeeze very hard and my shot goes in crazy place on target. But it doesn't all doesn't happen all the time. Am I doing something wrong? If you can help with this, it would be great. Thank you. Okay. So, first of all, it's a young lady listening to our podcast from down South America. And that's great to know that we reach people that far. We've got emails and correspondence from people around different parts of the world. Um, but no matter where you are in the world, the common, the, the, Problems that archers have are pretty much common, no matter where where they come from. Um, in this case, she's got a very high quality release, uh, Blade Pro, but it's not going off all in time. So, I emailed her and I got a response from her a couple of days later. And I, same thing, I said, "Show me a picture of what it looks like when you're holding it at full draw." And someone took a picture of her, and another one when you're holding it in your hand. And two things I noticed: one. She was turning her hand all the way over so that even her pinky was touching her face at full draw. That creates a couple of problems. And the second thing I noticed was her 
her D loop was like really, really short. So what combines with that is when you're doing it and you've got it back there, I can almost guarantee that the release is binding up because just the amount of pressures on the jaw is uneven. And sometimes they'll go off and sometimes they won't. It's not a defect in a manufacturer. It has to do with the way that you're you're pulling back and the angle at which you're twisting it. And having a tiny D-loop is not a good thing either because that's just going to compound the problem. No pun intended. But what I did was I said, okay, these are the things I see. And I had her give a couple of notes to her teacher who I think he's like a gym teacher or something like that, but he actually teaches the archery program for the school. And I said, here, D-loop, make it another quarter inch longer. And make sure her hand is almost level, but not with her pinky up in her cheek. Send me pictures when you're done. Sent me a picture back, corrected a D-loop, whatever. Hand's not like that. She fired it, she said, 50, 75 times. Never had a problem with it again. So it wasn't binding. And it was no problem increasing that. And she actually said that her shooting got a lot better and she increased her scores on the 300 game by, I think, 12 points. Because if the D-loop's too short, you're inducing torque. And if you can't get your release to go off, which I should have mentioned before, if your release doesn't go off because it's set too hard, too heavy, when you're trying to fire, instead of merely applying pressure, it's going to do whatever you want. You're going to set off a really hanky shot when you're trying to jam that trigger down just to get it to go off. If it doesn't want to go off, let down, reset. If it doesn't want to go off any time, then it's too heavy. And just reset it. That's also the reason why I'm have a separate podcast just for back tension releases and tension activated releases because they are exactly the same way. And what some people will say is if your form is not correct, it won't go off. Very true. If your form is not correct, they're going to give you a hard time going off. But also, if your form varies just a little bit, some of them are very, very temperamental and won't go off. That's why I'll get into a whole other deal about how to how to use those if that's what you choose to do. Again, the whole point of this podcast was this is how we do it and how we teach it. But it doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Whatever flavor of release works for you, go for it. If you're comfortable with it, great. If you're stuck doing something for the last 20 years and it's working for you, then you have no reason to change it. But if you want to try something new, or if you're just starting, we try to save you the pain and suffering of frustration by having something not work for you and try to go for the thing that works the best for you. In the case of my students and people who I coach and customers and stuff like that, I show them how this method works. And in the majority of cases, it works better for them. So while it doesn't work for everyone, it works for most people. So do what works for you, but be willing to try something new, as I said before. So that'll do it for the listener questions. And now we're going to get to the segments that most people have been waiting for that don't be that guy. 
So, like I said, we started a YouTube channel, and it's all about getting videos out there, trying to describe our methods for how we do things, why we do them, trying to help people out. But it's a dual purpose, and most of people who know me know I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. The reason why we're putting that out there, in our opinion, is because 90% of the stuff you see on YouTube, unless it's from two or three people that I know of who actually do it correct, is completely dumb or dangerous or incorrect. So we want to put our own content out there to try to give an alternative to people to, to watch so they can see how it's done safely and with a little common sense. But getting to this week's subject of the don't be that guy. Those people who are on YouTube and have other podcasts and stuff like that, it's a free country. Do what you want to do. And I encourage people to be expressive and all that. Not a problem. However, this week's Don't Be That Guy goes to those people out there who are doing this sort of content, creating content about subjects they have zero idea about. They are not experts about it. They do not know anything about it. They are creating most of these ideas out of their ass. Completely. And I'm not talking about the people with the bro science like I mentioned last time. I'm talking about people who actually run a podcast, okay? Because I know 20 of them who run run a podcast. Speaking from your own experience, I got no issue with. But when you go ahead and start talking about these things, giving out facts, claiming them to be fact, when they are completely wrong and asinine, and not wrong because I happen to believe that they're wrong, wrong because if you look up the facts, they are wrong. Or, God forbid, God forbid, you bring on guests who don't know what in the French toast they are talking about. Yeah, that's a new one I just learned. Um, it serves to poison the minds of people who are listening to you because if they're listening to you in the first place, they think you know what you're talking about. Indirectly, you're contributing to them being misinformed. Well, actually, directly, because you're putting this crap out there. Stay in your lane. If you're an expert on one particular subject, knock it out the box and say whatever you want. But don't just go making up things out of your ass because, like, well, this is what I've seen on TV and this is what I've seen over there. It doesn't work. It serves no good to anyone other than to confuse them and perhaps get them hurt. When you're talking about things that you don't know anything about, you do not only damage to your own reputation because you look like an idiot, but you do damage to others because a lot of times you just discourage the hell out of them. And unfortunately, okay, whether these people come from any walk of life, I don't care what you do, and they just start something, and all of a sudden they get a little bit of juice behind them like, well, you know what? If I said something about this and nobody said anything, I'm going to go ahead and start spewing this about this. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But they don't know that. 
There's an old saying, if you can't dazzle them with your brilliance, baffle them with your BS. That's what these people do. Sometimes they do it and they don't even know they're doing it. Unfortunately, a few of them, I won't mention her name, do it and they deliberately know they have no idea what they're talking about. And that sets me off because more than once have I seen somebody walk into me with a D-loop that's four inches long because so-and-so said, this is what you do to increase your draw length. It's stupidity like that, which people take as fact and preach it to other people that really sets me off. So if you're one of these content creators and you don't know anything about the subject you're talking about, stay in your lane and keep out of it. Also, if you bring in a guest on, who doesn't know anything about what they're talking about or has got their head so far up their ass that what they believe is true is true and it's not, then maybe you should really consider who you're bringing on. Because I've heard such opinionated nonsense in the last couple of months from these content creators, whether they're on YouTube or got their own podcast going, It is completely and totally ridiculous. Saying things about this. Oh, oh, this regulation says you can do this. BS. No, it's not that. Go look it up. Or that when I'm doing this, I got to be wearing this or I can't be. Give me a break. And yeah, this rant is going on a little longer than most. Why? Because this is really, really stupid stuff. So for all those guys out there who do this. And if any of them are listening, whatever, or someone who listens to them happens to get it over to them, you have just won the Ass Hat of the Week award. So if you want to get that award taken away from you and get that little badge of horror around your neck away, stop doing it. I'm not saying that you should stop creating content for YouTube. I'm not saying that you should stop creating content for your podcast. What I'm saying is show a little bit of responsibility Take your head out of your ass and only talk about things that you actually know about. Want to talk about your personal experiences? Knock it out the box. Don't care. Don't go telling people, well, this is what worked for me and this is, the, this is how it actually is. Because someone's going to listen to you and they're going to wind up getting hurt. And I'll end it there by saying my piece on, this, on that subject. But there's just too much of that going on lately. So that'll do it for this podcast. Went over an hour, ran out of breath, you name it. Uh, as we said before, please check out our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash highpowerarchery. Uh, the companion video for this podcast will be on there today, unless I run out of breath and fall dead of a heart attack. Um, anyway, the companion video for that will be on there today. Please subscribe and share it with as many people as you can. This way we can spread the word and get more people to be exposed to what we're showing you on there. Um, also, same thing when we post it to Instagram. Uh, any of the links we post to Instagram, please be be sure to share those out. Because I think if it reaches out to one person and actually helps them, it'll be a great thing. We're going to be posting Instagram reels that'll be targeting more, you know, because those get distributed randomly, not just to people who follow you. And hopefully that'll reach out to some people and they'll see it and maybe it'll help them out. But again, spread the word, 
for us. We're not trying to make money on the thing. I just want to get the right information out to as many people as possible. If you want to ask us a question, send us an email to highpowerarchery at gmail.com. That'll be changing soon because we're going to change our email system and a couple other things. Look for updates on our website, uh, instructor tr- um, instructor-led uh, continuing education will be going on for bow hunters soon. We're going to try to organize one of those. I'm working on the location. Either it will be upstate on my property, or if I can do it here in New York City, I'll do it here in New York City. i got to work with the guys from the DEC and the Parks Department, see if they'll let us do that. Um, we're going to have a lot of things coming up in this summer. We're really going to go for it this summer and try to get as much out there to the public as possible. Um, we'll also be doing another live call-in show in a couple of weeks. A lot more to come. Be sure to check us out, highpowerarchery.com. You can find us at, on Instagram under High Power Archer, on YouTube, High Power Archery, um, on the YouTube channel. And as always, it's never goodbye. It's until we, we meet again. So until then, stay safe and shoot straight.